Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. Welcome, Alicia. It's exciting to connect with an HSCT hopeful as we have not spoken with someone who has not yet had the procedure for quite some time, and I'm just really excited to connect with you. Yes, thank you so much. HSCT is definitely on my mind, and uh, I believe that that is uh, the cure for for MS or halting this disease for for progression. Most effective treatment anyway at halting progression. Yeah, so tell us more about your experience with autoimmune disease and even how you came to be diagnosed. Sure. Um, I received my diagnosis um, 2020, uh, the year where the whole world fell apart. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, so it, that was challenging with dealing with there was no one at work, there was a tremendous amount of delays, the stress of the virus. Um, but 2020 was my diagnosis year. Uh, many years previous to that, I had so many bizarre issues that I was being treated by multiple specialists and given their diagnosis, but never pinpointing what was causing everything, um, such as tremendous amount of GI issues, vomiting, fatigue, um, numbness, tingling, the list went on. And now that I received the diagnosis, it all kind of fell into place as to this is what MS looks like and this is how it behaves. Um, but significantly, 2020, I, I experienced my first noted MS attack where the doctor diagnosed me with optic neuritis. Right. And that was around April, I believe it was Easter long weekend. Um, and I remember it started with, uh, it felt like almost like when you have your eyelashes are too long and they're kind of poking your eye and you have a little bit of black spots. And I just kept rubbing my eyes thinking, it'll go away, it's fine. Maybe it's just a bit of residue of, of some allergies. And then possibly I'd say the following day, uh, my peripheral vision started to go uh, primarily in my right eye mm. um, to the point where I couldn't see anything beside me. And that started to, to freak me out. So, sure. of course... Did you have a headache or anything else? Uh, yes, my head was throbbing, I'd say, one week leading up to my vision loss. Mm. It felt like I had a vice grip around my head. And it was hard to pinpoint because I had just started a new position. And it was really stressful just learning the whole programs and the sure. emails. And I just thought, maybe I'm just overloading my brain. Maybe that's what's going on. Isn't it interesting how we always find a like some explanation to explain away the pain before we seek out the medical absolutely. professional opinion? Yeah, absolutely. It, it always, you're self-diagnosing. You're always thinking it's fine. There's nothing really wrong. I'll, I'll bounce back. Um, <laughs> constantly being resilient to what's actually going on in your life. Right. Um, and I think that's also part of just 
always not getting a diagnosis for so many years. Yes. Just assuming, well, this is just how my body behaves. Can yes. just go with it? Because the doctors are like, oh, well, we don't see anything wrong with you for so long. That's At right. least that was my experience for 16 years. Absolutely. Yeah, I can I can almost pin pat back pinpoint back to when I even I got Epstein Barr virus in high school mm-hmm. when I was around sixteen years old. Me too. And I significantly remember everything changing with my body from severe fatigue to I remember my arms would be going numb walking to school. And I remember talking to even my family physician back then and he would give me crazy diagnosis like you need to go and get uh, an ECG. Maybe you're having a stroke mm. or maybe you're just stressed or maybe your book bag is too heavy. And yes. they were all plausible, but I just kept thinking, no, that's, I don't quite think that's what's going on. It's fascinating. I had very similar experience and it, it just feels terrible that we're treated that way for so long. Right. And I understand like not every doctor will know every possible condition, But that's when I think the practice should be, I'm not sure why this is. Let's refer you to someone else and seek more opinions. I agree. I agree. And, um, and it's just so, so heartbreaking that it really all is reliant on one simple order, which is an MRI with some contrast, um, that can give you the diagnosis and and resolve years of uncertainty. And, and damage that occurs too with, with those many years of waiting to find a diagnosis. Right. I can only imagine what our immune system is doing in that time without mm. getting appropriate uh, DMTs or immune suppressing drugs or whatever it may be that would help the body. Yeah. I'm sorry that was your experience. Yeah. No, it's sadly um, when I got diagnosed and you started to jump into all the blogs and social media and, and I found out that I, I'm just not as unique as I thought I was. Everyone else experienced that. And it was just so heartbreaking to hear how you're ignored with something so significant and, and altering to your, your lifestyle. But uh, yeah, so I'll just jump back to the optic neuritis um, 2020. So I was losing my vision. Uh, I didn't really think any of it, much of it. I just thought maybe it's allergies. I had phoned into a, a web doctor and we had done a zoom call and he said, I think maybe you just have some, uh, a sinus infection and go and take some Sudafed over the counter and that should clear it up. Mm. And I thought, great, that sounds perfect. I'll go to the local pharmacy, get some Sudafed, and see how that goes. Um, That night, my pain in my eye and in my head was so excruciating. It felt like I had ice picks going on. Ouch. Um, And I said to my partner, I have to go to emergency. So at that time, of course, COVID, they didn't want anyone to go to emergency, um, right. so there was a clinic right by my house, which is an emergency clinic. And I was, uh, brought in right away and they did their assessment. They couldn't see anything. And they said, um, we think maybe you're having a stroke. So let's do a stroke assessment. So I was there for quite some time, hands up in the air, stick your tongue out, please read this eye chart. And I couldn't see the eye chart, but I could pass all the other cognitive tests. So that doctor had said, I can't treat you anymore. It's time for you to go to uh, emergency department. And here's a form just to show that I've 
approved that you're not having a stroke. Mm. By the way, you have to pay for that form, which is $40, which I thought was just so gouging and ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so away I went to emergency with this piece of paper saying that I'm, I'm not having a stroke, but we don't know what's going on with my eyesight. And that was the same type of treatment where they just said, oh, you have a headache? Have you tried taking Advil? And I oh, said, no, no but that doesn't help the eyesight problem, which is the primary issue I have right now. And at this point, I'm sitting in a hospital and my eyesight has gone to like pretty much black. I can't see any colors. I can't see any peripheral. Um, my central vision is gone completely. I can't even see um, people's faces, their, mm. their features. It's, it's, it's very scary optic neuritis when you have a full-blown attack. It's, I bet. it's almost like you're in a horror movie. Every, everyone's face has disappeared. So VGH, which is, I'm located in Vancouver, Vancouver General Hospital is the hospital I went to. And during that time, they said, we don't see anything, take an Advil and go home. So I went home that night. Oh, no. Um, just kind of frustrated with that whole system of, okay, I don't have a stroke. Maybe it's a headache. I mentioned the whole sinus attack and they kind of said, yeah, we agree with that. Uh, and then the next day, I woke up in the morning and my left eye, which was my good eye, started to get quite blurry. And I thought, no, this, mm. is, this is crazy. So I walked right back to the emergency department, told the whole story again. And I had a doctor who just kept looking inside my eye and asking me to read these charts. And he said, aha, I see it. You have a detached retina. And I thought, how did that happen? You know, I, but I thought maybe it's because I was rubbing my eye because I was having those allergies. And I thought, okay, maybe, maybe that's what's going on. Um, so he said, I'm going to refer you to an eye clinic and they're going to do some more tests to, to, to talk, talk about the detached retina. So that was great. So are they making sure uh, that, that you have transportation support? this whole time like did they just send you on your way uh, without no, a ride absolutely no nothing there was no and it was sad because it was during the height of covid so you had you could not bring in your significant other you right. could not bring on a family member you're just navigating the halls blindly oh my gosh and literally oh, i'm so sorry yeah, it was it was just so strange and the hospital was just it was like a ghost town. There was no one around to talk to. So you're just placed in a room for hours waiting for a doctor to come and assess you. Um, yeah. So then I finally got to an eye clinic and this was Easter long weekend. So there was zero MDs around. So I'm dealing with a lot of resident doctors, which is fantastic, but it's a learning experience. And I had two resident doctors that said, your retina is fully attached. I don't know what's going on. So then they started pulling some in some more resident doctors. And at this point, I think there was about three resident doctors. Mm. And they pull out this little stick that has the end is painted red. And they said, can you see this? And I said, I can't see you and I can't see the color red. And they were stumped. They had no idea what I was talking about. I think they asked me the question, can you see the color red about 10 times until so like I said, like, I don't know if you're even believing me, but I can't see it. So then they said, well, we think perhaps maybe you have a tumor on your optic nerve. Oh, my goodness. So we're going to rush a scan for you to go back to the um, Vancouver General Hospital to have that done. And if you don't hear from us, it's good news. And I thought, well, this is crazy how this is going on. So that was a sleepless night. <laughs> hoping For that my sure. Oh, my gosh. 
Yeah, it just was, uh, there was no plan. It was just kind of limping me along with care. Um, and then <laughs> I just went back to emergency the following day because I thought, I have no diagnosis. I have no plan. I have no medication. I don't know what's going on. And uh, I mentioned in the beginning, I had just started a new job. So they wanted to know what was going on. And of the course. last information I gave was uh, it, my eyeball was detaching or my retina was detaching. And they thought that was interesting to not know why that was happening so it, it didn't I didn't look like an ideal employee to them with all these random medical issues not that you can help it that's right absolutely yeah <laughs> unfortunately that's what my body decided to do so I went back to VGH I talked to a doctor and he was just he was like a fatherly figure he came up to me and he said right away um I've noticed you come in here quite some quite often the last four days nonstop. And I said, I need to know what's the next stage. I can't keep coming back and I can't be told it's going to get better because I know my eyes are getting worse. My left eye, which is my eye of stability, is getting very blurry. And he asked me, do you have MS? And I said, no, because I had, I honestly had no idea what MS was before I was diagnosed. Sure. Sadly, we assumed that was like a disease of being in a wheelchair being crippled. Um, I just had all these, these negative thoughts of what MS was. And I said, no, are you nuts? Of course not. I don't have MS. I'm, I'm healthy. And uh, so he said, I'm going to refer you to a neuro-ophthalmologist. And she's fantastic. I'm still with her today. And uh, That's the so right person. Finally. Finally. Like, absolutely. And um, I had mentioned, you know, the MS word to her and she was very firm and she said, we're not going to jump to that conclusion. It's going to take years for that diagnosis. And I thought, oh boy, Uh-oh. years is not what I want to hear. But I was also really happy to hear that as well. Um, and she had mentioned, we need to do a MRI in order to get a better understanding of what's going on with your eye mm. and with your brain. And she explained, mm. you know, the optic nerve is like a, a cord a long electrical cord attached to the brain and the signals are getting frayed and that's what we're concerned about. So we did the MRI and during that time I was just going crazy with not knowing what was going on with my eyesight. Of course. Um, and not having a diagnosis. And I should mention also when she had ordered the MRI, she had said that it would take quite some time again because of COVID there's so many delays and she had wrote me a prescription and she said don't look at it because she knows I'm I'm Dr. Google <laughs> I will dive right in and know and find out what this prescription is for and what what is it based on and I knew she didn't want to concern me so but the concerning part was waiting for this darn MRI not knowing when the date would happen uh, thankfully, I was able to phone my family doctor and say, can you please try to phone the radiology department and get my MRI bumped, which that worked. Um, so I do recommend anyone that's having that problem is to, to be an advocate and to push and to, to find resources that can to get, get things done for you. Yes. Um, so I had my MRI done and my neuro-ophthalmologist, I had saw, seen her probably a week after the MRI. And she uh, says to me, I actually 
had your imaging viewed by my uh, neurologist that I work with. And I will confirm that uh, it does not look like MS and there's no demyelinating disease. And I would say it's clinically isolated. So take your prednisone, which I found out that was the script was for, which was 25 pills a day for three days. That's oh my gosh. Hydration a week. So yeah, it was, that was pretty heavy to, to chew on literally. Um, but it worked. Prednisone was, the magic drug. I went from not being able to see uh, the bold black letters on the eye chart to being able to see. I could finally see my physician's face. Mm. Uh, it was a miracle drug, and I was so thankful to to be back to what I thought was normal. Sure. Um, I will mention that my optic neuritis attack, my first one, did significantly change my vision. Uh, I still don't see quite as many colors as I used to. Things are blurry. Um, and I do believe it's that damage from that first attack and mm. that delay of not knowing what's going on and the delay of getting prednisone. I'm sorry. But, yeah, no, it's just it's just crazy how the disease uh, happens and how it takes so long for diagnosis. And I, I don't know if maybe it was the, the COVID delay or maybe just the unknown of not listening to the issues I was having, but that was just how it, how it happened for me. Um, so... I went back to work, um, and I'm not sure if I maybe was uh, going back to work and seeing 4,000 emails and a huge workload that I was so behind on. Uh, within, let's say, three days, I experienced a second optic neuritis attack. Oh, no. And and I phoned my neuro-ophthalmologist, and I said, it's happening again, whatever this clinically isolated thing is. Um, I need to come see you. And she was kind of stumped. She didn't quite believe me. She said, well, sometimes you have fluctuations. And I said, no, it's, it's all happening again. The floating spot, the pain, um, even my face is starting to go numb. And she said, all right, come in. I'll take a look at you. Uh, and right away, I couldn't see the chart. And she said, okay, we're going to give you another prescription of, of prednisone and go from there. So I got my second uh, prescription of prednisone. I'm on my way home. And then I get a phone call from her. And she says, um, I, sh- I should say that this was actually around May. So one month after my initial first optic neuritis mm. attack. And she says, I'm so sorry. I just got the radiology report, which was a month later. And I've just read it. And you actually have a demyelinating disease. And it's a high indication for multiple sclerosis. And I said, what? (laughs) This is so crazy. So she said, you're going to be referred now to an MS clinic, which will be, um, we have a fantastic clinic in BC called the UBC uh, MS clinic. And you'll be teamed up with um, a neurologist and a bunch of nurses and everyone to, to assess what's next. And I said, okay. That sounds good. So I was teamed up with this uh, neurologist at the time, which I knew right away wasn't the right fit because I thought, is this the colleague that you had briefed on saying that my brain was fine and it didn't look like demyelinating disease? So that was a concern. Sure. Immediately when I had met her, which was on Zoom, and I had talked to her about my past 
about how I had so many GI issues and significantly I had an issue that occurred in 2018. I um, had woke up one day and I uh, went to push myself off the, I actually had a nap on the sofa, which is very rare. I was so tired in 2018. And when I pushed myself off the sofa, I felt this massive electrical zap in my neck and down my arms. And I felt like I was paralyzed. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't move mm. my neck from about the chest upwards. I couldn't move at all. And in 2018, that's when I went to the emergency and they put me in an MRI machine and they did a scan and they said, we actually see that you herniated your C4, C5 disc. Oh my gosh. And that's what's causing this issue. And uh, we see a little bit of um, disc degenerative disease. And I thought, well, okay, I mean, I didn't do anything traumatic to cause this injury, but I'm very active. So maybe that's the explanation to that. You're always self-diagnosing as <laughs> before you get your full diagnosis. Right, or explaining it away. Uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I had mentioned all of that to her and she says, you know, uh, now that we have an MRI, um, I'm able to see that we do have a lesion in your C4, C5. However, we need to order an MRI with contrast so we can better see what's going on in your brain. And I thought, well, we've already ordered an MRI. Here's now another waiting process for another MRI uh, to get a better view of my brain. And as I mentioned to her that I was having all these issues, she just kind of sloughed it off and said, that's strange. That's not quite MS. And I just thought, no, I know it's MS because I've done so much research on Google uh, PubMed proves it to me. Personal blogs prove it to me. I, I'm not, this isn't a pseudo effect. I know what's going on in my body. And, and I knew that she wasn't the right neurologist for mm. me. And I do push for if anyone finds that you're getting bullied by your neurologist, find someone that is, is appropriate for you. Because this, this is a lifelong commitment working yes. with someone who needs to listen to you. Yes. And self-advocacy is so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So she was big on jumping into drugs right away. Uh, she had mentioned interferon, um, Copaxone, Texadera. And she said, by the way, those are all kind of cr crummy drugs. The real good drugs are the drugs where you need to have extended medical coverage, like Ocrevus, which she had mentioned. And I said, well, I had just started a position. I had not passed three months probation, so I don't have extended medical. And right away, she kind of just seemed not interested. And she said, well, um, the, the, the gold lining is extended medical coverage to get DMTs that are very effective. And I thought, this, this is like almost a conspiracy. Yeah, it doesn't sound right. It didn't sound right at all. And I said, well, what drugs are approved for my problem? Uh, it was very limited. The drugs are approved. However, you could move to another province and certain drugs would be approved. So that drove me insane with how there was not fair playing game for a disease. Based on where um, you live or where you work. Where you live. Yeah, correct. Or where you work. Absolutely. Um, so I had said to her, you know, in this situation, I don't have extended medical. I'm going to try to get it, but I don't have it right now. And she had said, well, I think the best thing then would be to go on to Rituxan. Uh, it's going to calm down your immune system, wipe out those overactive T-cells and let's go from there. And 
I always felt that my diagnosis from her and the, the way that this carried on was just not appropriate and not really solidifying what was going on. Um, because there was a lot of mention of you're not typical to MS. You're having tremendous amount of optic neuritis attacks. My first year, I actually had eight optic neuritis attacks. Oh my gosh. And it, yeah, it was just nonstop. I think I, I blew up with all the prednisone on, and the nurses would just joke and say, oh, you're back again. Oh, say, yeah, it's I'm, not I'm funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> not funny at all. Um, so at that point, um, I was, I said to my father, I, I think I have MS, but they think I could have NMO. However, I've been on prednisone for one year, and they say that when you're on prednisone for that long of duration, the testing for NMO, neuromyelitis optica, and MOG mm. is not conclusive because Prednisone does something where it suppresses the aquaporins and you can't quite see if you're going to test positive or not. And that was the concern because as you read about uh, NMO and MOG, those seem to be the most disabling diseases. And then when I thought back to 2018 where I had that sudden attack in my neck and I couldn't move, I thought, oh boy, I'm, I'm, that seems almost like that's my breed. Um, so we needed to get an, another set of eyes on what was going on. And we contacted the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. I was going to ask, like, and is this when you sought out a different neurologist or were you still working with the same one you weren't connected to? Yeah. So after my meeting with that neurologist, I remember looking at my dad during the meeting and just shaking my head thinking, I don't know why she's a physician. She has no compassion. She's mm. not the right one for me. And there was mentioning that she had said to me that still have scarred my brain. Like you've suffered this long, suck it up. It was just crazy how she was just so callous in in talking. Oh, I'm sorry. And I knew that I would never want to interact with this person again. And I just didn't want her to be my point of diagnosis either. Right. So we contacted Mayo Clinic, Rochester, and, and Mayo Clinic was just, top-notch, amazing. They said, upload all your imaging. So I was able to get all my imaging from uh, the medical library. You pay for that personally. They put it on a CD-ROM, and then you upload it to their cloud. And I was able to see a neurologist uh, via Zoom in Rochester. His name was, I believe, Dr. Kim Tarsis. And he was fantastic. He, um, He was very sympathetic, but I had been on prednisone. For so many for so many months nonstop, I was so addicted to the prednisone. Where as soon as I tried to titrate off, I ended up getting an optic attack. Oh, and he was on two two issues. He had said, "Now the imaging I see it does look like MS. However, the MRIs that were ordered they were not done with contrast. They were not done with flare. So there's no way to properly see T2 imaging." Um, and that was unfortunate to hear because I had waited so long to get these MRIs right. and then for them to be ordered improperly was just even more frustrating. And he had viewed my blood work um, and he said, your white blood cells were out of the world. He was concerned that maybe I had steroid dependency. Um, he had some other wonders about some other issues such as the NMO, the MOG syndrome, sarcoidosis, and lymphoma. And he said, really, there's 
a problem here because we have a lack of spinal fluid, and that would be a great indicator. Mm. Um, the diagnosis for criteria for MS in Canada is drastically different than the United States. Oh. Uh, in Canada, we go by how MS is diagnosed, where an MRI is disseminated in space, such as the MRI imaging, and you see like my first attack, which was the optic neuritis. And then we have a, an MRI disseminating in time which would be the amount of attacks. So at that point, I had about three attacks. And I had mentioned to that neurologist, am I going to have a spinal tap? And she said, no, it was unnecessary. Hmm. So with all this information I gathered from the Mayo Clinic, I just knew that I needed to find someone that was going to work with me. So I um, did my research and I asked to be with the head neurologist at UBC. I'm still with him today. He's amazing. Wonderful. And yeah, and I am so happy that uh, I made the move. I didn't offend anyone. I just was an advocate in protecting myself. And he read the report from Mayo Clinic and he said, I agree with everything he has to mention. Let's do a spinal tap. Let's test you continually for NMO, MOG. Let's do a sarcoidosis test, which is a, a scan of your lungs. And let's do some more intensive blood work and to see if you do have lymphoma. So those all came back negative, thankfully. Yes. Um, but he reordered the MRI with flare, and that was the final straw where he said that, yes, it definitely is multiple sclerosis. Mm. And, and you know, it's strangely, it was a relief to get the diagnosis because of just being strung along with all these bizarre issues and For then so finally long. getting a conclusion of mm. what was going on. With, it was a breath of fresh air, sadly to say. It is sad, but I appreciate you sharing your story because it may resonate with someone else out there who feels like they're also an anomaly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and don't be heartbroken when they say, oh, you're not typical. That doesn't sound like MS. We're, we're not all the same. Everyone experiences it different. We feel things differently. Um, and I found just writing also a journal just knowing what my body was going through was so helpful. I believe the first year when you have that full-blown attack, which I, that optic neuritis, your body's just on fire. Uh, everything was hurting. My, my bones were hurting. My, my joints were hurting. Uh, I had these weird spasms and, and I just felt like it was just, everything was coming, coming out finally. Um, but I think that's also the part of being under stress, not having that diagnosis and, and being told it's going to take time and, and COVID is the delay. And <laughs> yeah, it, it just was a circle of excuses I found too. For sure. And then working with doctors or even um, the residents that are not yet certified or qualified, right? And so, yeah, you were really through a lot. And I'm so glad you connected with someone who you're still with today. So what was your experience like working with this doctor and what was his recommendation for a next step? Yeah. Uh, so this doctor was amazing. Uh, he would phone me, um, ask me how I was doing. He was very compassionate. I could ask him every question and he would not raise his eyebrow, which I found was really annoying with my last doctor. 
you know, you could ask him questions about diet. What is the right diet for me? Uh, what about this type of treatment? I mean, he's the research neurologist at, at the university, so he's very familiar with many uh, research uh, drugs out there. And and not one thing that I would mention to him that he wouldn't say, oh, this is an opinion I have, always in positive light, which was really helpful. Mm. Um, so when I finally got into his care, he did a thorough uh, exam on me, um, you know, the drop foot, um, walk the line, um, just to see where your scale is. And he said, so what I believe we need to do is start you on with toxin. <clears throat> uh, that's the chemotherapy drug. And let's give you two sessions of rituxin and see how that works. And this was, I believe, 2020 it would have been around Christmas time or September yes September mm. and Christmas time I had two rituxin infusions um the first rituxin infusion I would say was amazing I came home and I could see color I could see detail I could see items in the lo- in the distance I couldn't see before mind you during my rituxin infusion I did also have a full gram of methylprednisone so mm. that could have been mask I mean I was so dependent on prednisone that could have been also what was working so well but about three days after rituxin I noticed there was odd things happening to me I I went to get out of bed and I, I couldn't walk. My, my right foot wouldn't get off the ground and it'd be dragging randomly. Um, and then my eyesight started to fade again drastically, mm. like to the point where it was almost uh, non-existent seeing out of my right eye. So I contacted him again and he said, we're going to do one more dose of rituxin. And we're going to see what happens. So I did the second dose of rituxin and it was the same. There was no improvement. Actually, I, I got worse. I had issues walking. I mm. had tremendous issues with my bladder. Um, I found it hard to even talk. Like I was, mentally, I felt like my brain was just so roasted from all this medication that was going on that it wasn't doing any good. And he was stumped at that point. Um and he said, well, there's a few drugs we can do. Um, one of them was, oh, geez, I forgot the name, but it pretty much is a drug that puts you right into menopause and it's a seven day course of high chemo. Mm. And I was just so frightened to try that right away because I thought, you know, I'm in my thirties. I want to have kids. I don't want to lose that option. And I just feel like my diagnosis is still kind of weary with what's going on because we're testing for NMO and I'm testing for MOG and then I'm being told that prednisone can change that result. So I said, uh, well, what, is there anything else that we could try? And he said, what about Tysabri? And I said, okay, let's, let's try Tysabri. So I had Tysabri in 2020, that was December. Uh, I think for Christmas time around then I had Tysabri and Tysabri was like a vitamin cocktail. Um, I felt amazing afterwards. Oh, good. Uh, my vision was stable. I would say afterwards, it wasn't a drastic improvement, but it was stable. Um, and I mentioned to him, he followed up with me and I said, Tysabri, I believe is the drug for me. Um, I did not feel any discomfort having it where rituxin was horrible as it felt like poison going into your body 
Mm. You're constantly struggling to breathe and you're itchy. Um, yes. And, and Tysabri was just polar opposite. So he was so happy to hear about Tysabri working. Um, and I've been on, I'm still currently on Tysabri. Okay. And I still do receive, um, I just still do have optic neuritis attacks. I have about two a year and, Whenever I have the optic neuritis attacks, I do go in and have a full three-day pulse of methylprednisone. That seems to be the only thing that will restore my eyesight, um, which is unfortunate because you always hope that the DMT, the Tysabri, would stop all these attacks completely, but mm. it just stops the severity of the attack. And maybe and slows down the time between attacks. Absolutely. Yes. And, and it definitely did compared to the first year in 2020, where I, it seemed like every other month I was getting attacked and I had the record of eight attacks and I was the, the prednisone queen, they would nickname me. Yeah. And, um, so, so I am super grateful that Tysabri has worked, but now I've realized um, my body's so dependent on the drug. I, I'm on an interval every four weeks. I've, my neurologist has tried to push it to every six weeks. And even in that two-week time, I've experienced an optic neuritis attack or a physical disability attack. Um, And one week prior to my infusion, I just feel like absolute garbage. You're just so tired. It's hard to talk. Um, You're just not as sharp as you used to be. And that's always the concern as to when will Tysabri stop working and how dependent is my body on this drug and mm. how long am I going to be having to go in and get this this damn treatment every four weeks? Yeah, three-hour long commitment. Yeah, absolutely. It's exhausting and having to juggle that with um, with work is <laughs> it's not an easy thing. As much as they say they're understanding, no one is, no one enjoys an employee having to leave. Sure. And so where in all of this have you come across HSCT as a potential option? Yeah. um, So my father and I, we actually came across HSCT right away when I was being bumped around with not knowing the diagnosis. Um, That was with that female neurologist. And we actually had mentioned HSCT and she just flipped her face and said, that is a treatment that will kill your daughter. Oh. It is not effective. Um, and she just made it seem like, how dare you uh, ask about that? And mm-hmm. she really got quite upset is because my father had emailed the neurologist in Ottawa who's uh, in charge of doing HSCT. Mm-hmm. In order to get HSCT in Canada, you have to be uh, pretty disabled in order to qualify for it, which is ironic because in order for HSC to be effective, you need to hit it before you do become disabled. Correct. Um, so that neurologist had actually emailed her and mentioned um, a patient of yours inquiring about HSCT, and she got quite offended that we had gone that route. And I thought, this is so crazy because we're just trying to be advocates for ourselves and, and look at what's the best option and and for her to say the mortality rate was that was the result was just mm. really heartbreaking to hear. Uninformed. Very, so, um, very uninformed. Currently, my neurologist, when I mentioned HSCT to him, I mean, he does still have that not the positive um, response that I would like. But I do believe he would be supportive in arranging my blood work post 
HSCT, but in terms of finding a neurologist in Canada that supports HSCT before a severe disability, it's next to none finding that support. I'm so sorry. Not that it's very different in the States or other countries, right? I think that HSCT is still a big unknown for so many doctors, especially who are tenured in their practice, um, even new in their practice. And Dr. Burt published a medical textbook last year, and I would love to see that get into the hands of every graduating neurologist and every practicing neurologist or immunologist or hematologist, rheumatologist for that matter. I agree. I absolutely agree. You know, it, it definitely is the reset for autoimmune diseases. Um, and, and I do believe finally it's coming to light. I, I do know that Selma Blair just had her documentary that came out and so inspiring to see how she was so severely disabled. And after having her treatment, she's back to living a normal life, riding horses, writing a book. Um, and I just think like there needs to be more awareness about how this can be an option and it should be an option if you want it to be. Absolutely. So do you have any doubts or reservations as you conduct your own research or are you thinking of pursuing HSCT anytime soon? Yeah. Um, it's a bit of 50, 50. I definitely am interested in pursuing HSCT in Mexico. Um, and I, of course, you always have the fear of how effective will this be on my immune system? Is my immune system just overly reactive and will this come back? And, and also the concern of what other damage will HSCT do? I believe I had contacted you in the beginning as I was con- wanted to know about um, female hormones and if there was anyone that was able to be successful in becoming pregnant after HSCT. And there was a great podcast, I believe Elise was her name, with lupus and shorgens. And I think she took an injection called Lupron, I believe, mm-hmm. to cause her menstrual cycle. Um, so there's a lot of questions you have as to what will be my body after HSCT and what, how effective will it be. But I think the, what makes me most want to do HSCT is to get away from this lifestyle of going every four weeks for Tysabri, um, to be so dependent on this drug and just feel that I, I can't, I can't leave the country. I got to come back every four weeks. Um, and to think about, if Tysabri stops working, what's the next drug? And will that be as effective as where I'm at right now? So absolutely, HSCT is the goal uh, in the future. Um, the hindering factor, of course, is quite expensive. I'm doing as much as I can for fundraising. I have my own little GoFundMe, and I also created a uh, homemade face scrub. It's called Dirty Gal. Mm. Um Gal is actually slang for girl in Trinidadian. I'm half Trinidadian. Nice. And it's, uh, yeah, so just do whatever I can just to, to raise the funds. Uh, I do have a very supportive father, but of course I don't want to drain his, his savings account. That's not my goal. Sure. Um, well, we'd be happy to link yeah, to all so of that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, as much as you try to educate your family members, it just, they want to find this one treatment or one drug that is the solving problem for everything. And 
And of course, we all want that too. But there's a the concern is maybe I still would be on uh, on some type of immune suppressing drug after HSCT. There's always a I'm possibility, that that but yeah, hopefully that yeah. would not be the case. They would always be there for you on the flip side, right? If if that was a necessary Absolutely. thing. So I'm curious, why was it important for you to participate in the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I still, after it's 2022, and I still to this day, every time I take my dog out, I am listening to MS podcast, uh, your podcast, The Missing Link, um, any, anything to do with MS related, just to find a connection into my unique optic neuritis attack, mm-hmm. uh, the progression of the disease, and just gathering as much information that I can in order to to educate myself. Um, I mean, you, you talk to your neurologist and you're told these words like, oh, unique, different, haven't heard that before. But then you hear other stories of exactly what you're going through and you think, well, I, I know I'm not unique because this person is also experiencing it. Right. So it's very comforting to, to hear other people's stories uh, if I can help anyone with connecting in Vancouver, BC, I'm more than helpful to, to be there for that person. And I found very lost, lost in my initial diagnosis. I didn't know who to talk to. There was no support group. There was no one that had MS. There was no one in my age group that had MS. So it was, it was overwhelming. Um, and really the podcast and being the self-advocate of doing your research was what kept my mind sane through this whole process. Sure. Well, especially during COVID, even more isolating, right? Absolutely, yes. And how wonderful, right, that you found connection to others just through sharing stories. And that's the whole point of this podcast for sure. But wouldn't it be nice if you could connect with others in BC who are looking to potentially pursue HSCT someday? Yeah, and, and that's the big thing is that uh, you always want to find stats on the HSCT. You want to find the footprint around you is who has been successful with HSCT, with your exact RRMS diagnosis. Um, and, and you just want to get the most amount of information for yourself and for your neurologist to say, no, actually, this is what I found. Because um, they are quite prejudicial when it comes to HSBT. I, I think I've heard the word barbaric treatment a few times by them. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I know it's just, it's crazy when you just think like, haven't you seen the success stories and how people are doing tremendous and. Well, and maybe they haven't. And so our website, the hsctwarriors.org website is full of peer reviewed medical journal articles as well as videos and the webinars that we've hosted, including with Dr. Cohen at the Cleveland Clinic. So if anything, you could share those resources with your neurologist and maybe he would start to come around to the idea of it. Absolutely, yeah. And and again, I I definitely don't need the okay for my neurologist. This is all so personal. And um, if that neurologist says I can't support you afterwards, then onward and upwards the next one and uh, that's not my deciding factor if I can sure. find a neurologist so support it I'm I know what is going to be best for my body and my outcome um and we know best with our bodies with what's going on absolutely we do what about a superpower that you've gained from your experience with 
your diagnosis and just living with this disease? Oh, uh, a bit of both. Um, a bit of resilience and a bit of compassion, definitely. Um, MS definitely makes it quite tough with uh, the drugs, with the with the side effects of the drugs, the mood swings. Um, you do feel kind of alone in your brain with, with knowing that what's going on. Um, and then you also have a lot of sympathy at the same time with not being hard on yourself and realizing that your body just needs time to heal. And if you see other people that are, are struggling, you, you have sympathy to that person where before I would just kind of think, oh, they're having a tough time. And now I'm thinking, oh, they could have a medical tough time. Mm. So much more layered to that. And definitely more in tuned with my uh, feelings towards other people with disabilities. Um, and especially when you're, you get diagnosed at a young age and you look normal, you, you don't fit the description of this disabled. Right. And you certainly don't feel normal. Absolutely. At least I didn't feel normal. <laughs> and then, you know, you're trying to find a doctor who would listen and you're just continually pushed aside as though you're making things up. It's so frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the, the biggest frustrating part. I mean, I remember so many times going to my doctor saying, I'm, I'm so exhausted. I, I wake up and I feel like I didn't sleep at all. And uh, he would just say, well, just get more active. That'll bring back your, your energy level. And I would think, how can I become more active when I can barely get out of bed? And, and yeah, it's, it's just so common for everyone. You're just pushed along with all these bizarre uh, conclusions rather than let's just order an MRI with a contrast and, and nail it. Hopefully. I mean, I know that sometimes those lesions don't appear right away. It takes time. But in your case, for sure, an MRI could have been done much sooner, at least at the first hospital visit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, um, it was a very particular time back in 2020. Uh, and I, I hope no one had to go through the diagnosis during 2020 because it right. was just such a bizarre time. Super bizarre. But maybe we find a silver lining, right? So is there anything, anything that you're grateful for about your experience so far that has gone unspoken? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful right now that I'm with my neurologist. I'm so grateful that I have an MS team at UBC. Uh, I can email them. Um, and within two hours, they'll contact me with any MS-related issues. I'm so grateful that I have um, such a supportive family. My father, just number one, constantly researching uh, and being an advocate for what could be a solution for me. I think every day he actually will send, send me a link for brain matters. Some of it is garbage, but it's just That's knowing awesome. that I'm always on his mind. Yeah. yeah, it's just so sweet. For sure. And uh, I'd say definitely MS is just, created so much resilience, you know, you just have to push forward with everything. And you think back to how tough it was when you had your first attack to now what you're going through right now. And you think I, I can do it all. I just have to stay positive and I got to keep moving forward. And definitely there's tough times, but, but our body will bounce back. Which 
is a great insight if you pursue or when you pursue HSET. It's such a very necessary mindset to carry uh, and practice as you approach and pursue and go through and then even recover from HSET. I agree. I agree with that. I've, um, I followed quite a few post HSCT stories. Uh, one of them primarily was like Nick's new beginning. Um, and post her treatment, she had mentioned it took a little over a year to two years for her to feel back to her normal self mm. with energy levels. And, and, and that's just the part of the process is it's going to take time, but uh, it will be effective with, with staying on course. Um, Indeed. And I, I do believe that, that that would be the only way to get through all of these types of treatments is to, just to stay positive uh, and to stay in tune with your body, with what's going on. Don't ignore it. Don't, don't self-diagnose as we usually do. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to do. Absolutely, yes. Well, thank you for modeling all of this for us. The resilience, the positivity, self-reflection, um, the journal ideas, just phenomenal. I know so many doctors told me you should really journal all of this. And I just never made the time. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that part. Um, my journal, I wouldn't say it's a journal of, uh, a positivity. I have a journal of, it's, I call it the prednisone log where I couldn't <laughs> even remember how many pills to take. <laughs> um, and I have an attack log just so I kind of know what was every year, what does it look like? Um, and the MRI log, it's just, we go through so much that it's hard to remember it all. It's hard to remember what our, what was our stress level during that time? What was our body really doing that time? Uh, just writing down like the pain scale of how severe it was back then. And then you think about my, in a quite a lot of pain right now. And yeah, it's a lot of reflection that's needed, but also sometimes you just kind of got to get out of your mind and not let. Um, spasms and the cramps get a hold of you. You just got to push forward. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of listening to to Matt Embry and the Best Bet Diet and the No Cheat Days and to, to make sure to be active every day and to push forward. And I think that's been a big part of the healing process too. Is just not let this disease take a hold of you by staying in bed mm-hmm. and, and limping out. I don't mean to use those words, but some days you really just got to put your runners on and get out. No matter how tough, all great strategies and reminders. Thank you so much for sharing those and your story and your inspiration. I wish you all the best with finding the money in order to make your way to HSCT sooner than later. Thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate being on your podcast. And if I can help anyone from Vancouver, BC, or anyone in general with uh, knowing that the diagnosis may take some time. It may be convoluted, but to stay positive and strong and to get through it. Mm, so generous. I'm sure people will take you up on that. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Jen. We'll be in touch. And in the meantime, you take good care. You too, Jen. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, thank Alicia. You be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.org where you can find notes from today's episode submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. 
As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Allitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. Jen Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.